The business of culture, the culture of business, music, policy, tech and media, comedy. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. And I open one case and it's this like old Martin, like 1971 guitar. And I'm like, oh, 1971. So this is like, this is like Milkwood, Ben Orr. This is like him sitting in his bed. Like he doesn't have a studio. He's like, and like how many car songs were written on this? And like, this guitar is amazing. Aaron Okasik, son of the late Cars frontman and prolific producer Rick Okasik, on finding his own musical voice, plus finding old microphones and guitars amid the recording industry's great wide streaming open. Stay with us. This episode is made possible by the support of Salomon and Ludwin a boutique wealth management firm dedicated to helping families make smart financial decisions. You worked hard and sacrificed to create and build wealth. They treat advice given to you with the respect your journey deserves. For over 30 years, Salmon and Ludwin has earned a reputation of trust and confidence, recognized by Barron's as a Hall of Fame advisor. More at SalomonLudwin.com. Full Disclosure Podcast to NPR, Spotify, and of course, Apple Podcasts at link fulldradio.com. Special thanks to WVTF Radio IQ, our NPR member station headquarters. You can catch us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at handle fulldradio. And holler if you too would like Full Disclosure on your air. Joining me from Brooklyn, you know, no sleep till Brooklyn, is Aaron Akasic. He was born in Boston, Massachusetts, but now he's a New Yorker. You might recognize the last name, Rick Okasic, the late front man of the cars, was his father. And he is now taking his first dive into music in the spirit of his father. The full-length 2022 album is called Take Backs. You can get it on all the streamers. How are you, sir? Great. Thanks for that amazing introduction. Yeah. Well, I didn't even even get to the beginning of it because you're always with the last name. You're always going to be asked about your father, who was so much larger than life. You know, you came of age in the 1970s and you were maybe a kindergartner when the band really exploded with its debut album in the late 70s. And it was a a shock to the world when your father passed away early and, and, and no one kind of expected it a couple of years ago in his home in Manhattan. And it was also interesting to me in that I never realized he had a musically inclined son until I found you on Instagram. It's funny. I, I, don't, I never thought that I was musically inclined and never thought that this would be something I would ever pursue in my entire life. I stayed away from it as far as I can remember. I thought, oh, I'll, I'll do anything but music. So was it interesting as the studio, was it in the basement of the Gramercy Brownstone where he lived and passed away? Yeah, he he always had a studio in his basement from when we were living in Boston. He had a studio in a basement. New York, he has a studio in a basement. It's actually a nice thing to have. I, I kind of want one myself. <laughs> I mean, take me back to your very first memories. As you know, full disclosure, listeners, I, I am a massive Cars fan, you know, especially the work of Benjamin Orr, who was the late co-front man, your your late father's friend, and he was the bassist as well. And I saw this picture of you as a little kid being held by Benjamin Orr in a fur coat. And then another one where you're like holding a can of beer. I can't imagine the hippie commune or whatever it was in Newton, Mass, when you grew up in the 1970s. Oh, that was an amazing place. I mean, this was um, a art scene in Newton, Mass, in this giant house where people came in and out constantly and they like housed my dad in this studio apartment above a garage 
uh, him and my mom and me, and I was just born. And there was kids running around, and there were, they, we, we would have plays in the big house where we would all dress up and and actually perform plays. And these guys were like musicians themselves, and they owned like music stores all around Boston. And it was just this great environment. I can see why my dad and mom wanted to be there. I mean, it was an incredible place to grow up. And those were the milk, the Milkwood years with your dad and Benjamin Orr pre-cars. I mean, it came out in 1973 when you were born. And this stuff was like summer breeze, you know, borderline hippie uh, dentist office music. It's unrecognizable if you go listen to it on YouTube. It really was. I'm not sure if he had anything but an acoustic guitar. So maybe that was why. And of course, Ben's amazing voice. I mean, how could you not want to sing folk songs when, when you're singing with Ben? What is in Inception in your mind the first kind of memory of stardom? You're in kindergarten when their debut album, self-titled album, comes out, which really hit it out of the park. There was a DJ in Boston who spun it mercilessly. It got a tremendous amount of FM radio play. It was produced by Roy Thomas Baker, the legendary music producer. Songs like Just What I Needed. Gosh, I mean, you can listen to it. It's just nonstop. Every single track is essential. Moving in stereo, all mixed up, which is a personal favorite. At that point, I mean, this band really got escape velocity into the 80s. Yeah, I mean, and I heard it right, and they recorded it really quick, like 12 days or something. I don't know. Like, they were practiced and they were ready to go, like, when that album was recorded. When I noticed Stardom, I don't think I ever did. <laughs> it was like, oh, we're moving out of this, you know, garage. And now we have, like, another house that's all ours. And for me, it was like, oh, I don't get to, like, hang out with these, like, 18 kids anymore. You know, maybe this, like, <laughs> that's all I thought about. But your dad then seriously hit the road between recording and Panorama and then Heartbeat City. By the time they were, let's say you were 10 years old, MTV is really in the firmament and the cars are a cornerstone of MTV. I saw one of these ads for MTV and its greatness. I want my MTV. You know, it's David Bowie. It's Def Leppard. Very 1983. Michael Jackson thriller. And of course, your father. I want my MTV. Uh, yeah. and, and they were they were one of the true founders of the medium. They understood how to put out a great video. It, it won one of the first Video Music Awards, I believe. Yeah, they did. Uh, yeah, yeah, you might think with the Charlex. It was just like a natural progression like in life. It's like for me and for him, he came out right at that perfect time where, you know, there's this visual medium to go along with it. And they were kind of arty anyway. So they kind of like embraced this like video generation that was exploding around the same time i think it just kind of like they were perfect for that time how much would you interact with the band members the various band members from you know greg hawks to david robinson um the uh, elliot easton the the masterful guitarist i mean were they coming in into the house or at this point were they on the road 300 days a year no there was no more house when they made it as far as i was concerned they were on tour all the time and when they weren't, they probably each went home to their own families. So um, I would only, so after that, after that kind of breakout, I think I just saw them whenever I was on school break, I would go sit on side stage or if uh, they came to Boston, I'd go to a concert and that's when I would see the whole band. <laughs> they were on it all the time. I can oh, imagine being a 10 year old. It's when I first got MTV. Yeah. Oh, well, I loved them. I loved MTV. That's where I got all my music, but I just saw them there as another band. <laughs> As another band on MTV, I didn't see the cars. 
as anything specifically amazing. I didn't appreciate it until later in life when I was old enough to think about things like that. At the time, it just was like, oh, there's my dad on TV, you know, change the channel or not. Wow. Like I've seen this video a hundred times. Like I saw him, like he brought it home and showed me the video before it was on MTV. You can probably imagine that just like any parent, you just kind of like don't really appreciate their talent until until later. But there weren't any efforts at like sharing an acoustic guitar or getting you a baby guitar or anything like that because I oh, want yeah. to get at the genesis of like what the plant, what seeds were planted, but you weren't, I mean, they handed me a guitar when I was seven. I couldn't stand it. My brother picked it up and then becomes virtuosic later in life, but you didn't have the, the, the urge kind of within to pursue this in your childhood? Well, I did actually. He did get me a great mini guitar, like a kid's one. It was electric. It was really cool. It was yellow. And he taught me, you know, a couple cars songs like like that was like really easy for me to uh, learn. Like my first, the I think dangerous that type. First, that was it. Thank you. <laughs> so I could play dangerous type right off the bat. And his uh, manager at the time managed Devo, so I would get like all the Devo costumes, like the like the like the potatoes and the red hats. Like, cause he had so many of them left over. So me and my friends would dress up like Devo and like play <laughs> guitar and like pretend we were in a band. So yeah, we really, I mean, music was a big part of growing up. I just, you know, never thought I would actually do it, but it was like the only extension I had for fun was like, oh, pretend I'm in a band. Like that was how we played. We didn't really go like play football. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. You are listening to Aaron Okasik, he is, of course, son of the late Cars frontman Rick Okasik, uh, is a dad in Brooklyn. I'm looking at the bio where you wrote, my dad was this amazing songwriter and musician. It seemed almost impossible to try and compare. I mean, to say the least, because not only do you put out this incredible body of award-winning work that dominates the 80s, if you're the Rick Okasik-led Cars, but then he goes on to produce and mentor incredible acts like Weezer and not a surf. And, you know, the killers faded him during the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction a few years ago. He was an album guy. He was uh, interested in many things. And this was someone who was produced in turn by the likes of Roy Thomas Baker and Mutt Lang, you know, famously the guy who tortured Def Leppard and, and other players. And I think he was the producer of, of Heartbeat City. So your dad, to say the very least, was a perfectionist. Yeah, I mean, well, he was producing bands before that. He had a studio in Boston, Synchro Sound, where, you know, the cars recorded. And he was bringing in bands like the Bad Brains and Iggy Pop. In the early 80s, Romeo Void, he did like one single for them. And like he owned his own studio in Boston. I think he was ready to do that right from the get-go. Aaron, tell me about striking out on your own as, as an actor, as a producer, as a kind of a starving creative in the Northeast corridor between, you know, New York and Boston. Yeah. Well, I went to, um, NYU film school to, uh, learn how to make films. Cause I, uh, didn't really want to do sports in high school. So I started making videos of people playing sports and editing them. <laughs> I got sort of interested in filmmaking and over the summers I went to acting school and wanted to be an actor but was kind of daunted by the fact that someone had to like hire me. So I thought, oh, well, I'll just learn how to make films and then I'll just be in them myself. And then, you know, at the time, this is like the 90s. So if you want to make a film, you got to have like a million bucks. You know, you can't just like go out on your phone like you can now and make a great movie. Mm. You know, when I realized like no one was going to hire me, 
and it was too expensive to make movies. I uh, kind of just like went back to my editing roots, which is kind of where I started everything and really pursued editing and became an editor for films and commercials and stuff like that. So were you a self-taught multimedia person? Did you learn this in school? I mean, we didn't have the uh, as much of the uh, the kind of the cloud-based software and Wi-Fi. No, I cut film. I, I'm cutting film. I'm, I'm splicing and cutting wow. film. Yeah, on Steambacks. And they had just gotten like Avid's at college when I got there, but I was already used to uh, cutting film. And I was working like as an assistant on uh, some feature films where my job was basically like match cutting these reels to show audiences with the editor's cuts. So I'm splicing, I'm taping, <laughs> I'm losing pieces of film in bins. It's actually good because you, like, you make a splice and that's your decision. And now I think it's probably the same in music, but like now you can scroll around the, the screen and like decide where to edit, slide it around. And the same with filming. It's like, oh, you got a video camera, you shoot for 18 hours and then the editor puts it together. Uh, whereas, you know, when you had film, it was like, okay, we got like this film, it's going to run out, like make your shots count. So there's a whole, I think I learned that way, like make your shots count, make your edits count. So in the proximity, you're living in Brooklyn, going to school at NYU, and you're you're just a bike ride away from your dad's brownstone. Would you visit a lot? Would you take notes? Would you see him in the studio? Would you ask him, what do you think about this? I showed him, yeah, I showed him my student films, and he was making videos, and I was actually helping him. This is the 90s. Cars are already gone. He's making some solo albums, and he's making little videos. He's, like, walking around the street like projecting things on green screens and standing in front of them and jumping around, you know? So I was like helping him film all these music videos and editing them together and kind of just like always being around in the, in the video way. Are you sitting or are you sitting in the studio when he's producing and, and, and mentoring people as well? Were you able to sit in? No, that was his thing. I mean, I did go into the studio like to visit like Electric Ladyland uh, when he, you know, had like Guided by Voices or some other bands in there. I would just go for the afternoon and sit and like watch these guys who are like amazing. So for the other listeners out there, you know, the the car's major run was for the 10 years from 1978 to 1988. And then the band disbanded. I mean, there seems to be a mystery. Maybe your dad grew tired of it. Maybe they kind of ran out of creative steam. The MTV era was coming to an end. Uh, as from a Cars mega fan like me, I always thought, as I told you, and there was unfinished business. I thought they definitely had another great album, one left at least in them with the original members. But what was heartbreaking, and I promise we're going to get to your journey because there's a through line in this, is you can go and see that on YouTube, uh, the original members meet in the late summer of 2000 as Benjamin Orr your dad's friend and co-founder and bassist and co-vocalist is succumbing to pancreatic cancer. And he looks like a shell of himself. And I read that the band members couldn't believe that he had, you know, they, they had not been in touch for so long and suddenly he's dying. And he was out on his own and doing solo work and gigging. And it's just devastating to me personally as a fan to see that kind of 12 years had lapsed. And then this they had this final swan song together. And of course, Ben Orr passed away in October of 2000. The Cars, the remaining members of The Cars, got together with Rick Ocasek for one last hurrah, an album in 2011. You got to see them on The Late Show. I read somewhere, I think, in Rolling Stone that he wanted to prove to his 
various children that he had another great rock stardom album in him. But what is it, you know, t- turn this around and tell me, what is it that remains unresolved about that? That it was such a, a, a comet that passed through, that the cars burned so bright for 10 years and then we effectively lost them. I, I can't say for sure what exactly was going through the band's minds. All I can say is as a fan, I'm with you. I would have loved to see more Cars albums because I was a fan too. But you just probably got to imagine like a group of people being together for 10 years, touring constantly, you know, going through six months or maybe it was a year of of making Heartbeat City in London away from their families. You just don't know. Maybe they just all kind of just what needed a break. I I, I can't speak for that really. I, I just, as a fan, wish they could make more music together too. <laughs> you know what I mean? When when did you become a fan in earnest? I think I became a fan maybe not until after they broke up. Mm. Kind of like after I got to go back and like listen to it like music. So I started listening to more music and I just in retrospect you look back and you see how different the car sounded than the other bands and I became a huge fan because like I knew all the lyrics and I knew all the licks and I knew all the things that were going on in the because I had heard it so much. I just never like got to appreciate it. So going back and listening to it all later in college. Here's the interesting thing. And the last question I asked you about the cars, I promise, before we talk about your career ascent. Uh, Fans want to know, did Ben and Rick just kind of flip a coin to decide who did vocals on these various tracks. There are incredible tracks that are fronted by your dad, Mm -hmm. such as Dangerous Type, which I love, Magic, which is later on and is kind of a very summer of 1984, I believe, song. But then there are things like Moving in Stereo, Just What I Needed, All Mixed Up, which I adore, which are essential Ben Orr vocals. And of course, Drive, one of the defining tracks of the 1980s. I'm thinking Live Aid, I'm thinking Video, is there a backstory to how they decided who would sing on these? Did they flip a coin? I mean, when I was when I was making uh just like also when I was making a this little documentary on the cars called The Cars Unlocked in the late nineties, we were going through footage and Ben was singing Drive, you know, live in like eighty four or something. My dad just stopped and he was like, Wow, can he sing? Like, don't even cut. Like, don't cut away. Like, just leave the there was like some camera angles we had to work with. He's just like stay there like that guy can sing and i think that was it right so it's like he always said like oh if a song needs a good voice let ben do it and if if not then i'll sing it that's kind of what he think but i do remember like sitting in the car driving i don't know where to school or something like that and him having alternate takes of 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 him and ben singing particular songs and like kind of getting a vote on who thought ben should sing and who thought you know, my dad should sing certain songs, but it's probably usually pretty obvious. And he did. He always did that. Actually, he he, he played a lot of his solo albums to us, too. Like, you know, I got 20 songs. I got to pick 10. You know, he would t- kind of like have us all vote for our favorite ones. And he put it on the album. Full disclosure, you're listening to Aaron Okasik. He is, of course, son of the late Cars frontman Rick Okasik, and he's finding his own voice and career musically. Uh, the technology has changed. Obviously, a lot of us have had inside time uh, to, to find a new uh, life, if you will, during the pandemic. We're going to play a little bit of one of the tracks from his debut album, Fall Away, and come back with the backstory. Stay with us.
Full Disclosure Podcast to NPR, Spotify, and of course, Apple Podcasts at linkfulldradio.com. You can follow on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn at handle Full D Radio. We are on Radio IQ, NPR member station WVTF. Across the great Commonwealth, you could catch us in Arlington and much of Washington, D.C. on WERA 96.7 FM. We're in Asheville, North Carolina on WPVM and out west in Ventura, California on KPPQ. DM me to carry full disclosure on your air. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Aaron at Kasich. He is, of course, son of the late Cars frontman, Rico Kasich. You were listening to uh, track number one from his new album, Fall Away. Can you give us the backstory of Fall Away in the album? And the album is Take Back. It's your debut album. It streams everywhere. And it took how long to make? From just sitting around on my acoustic till the time it was done, it was probably about a year. So tell me about Fall Away. Yeah, that's the first song I... So I would record myself, you know, making some, you know, riffs up and stuff like that. 
And it was at one point that I was like, oh, well, maybe I should like record some of this down and see if I can like learn how to like build a song out of it. <laughs> and so that was the first song that I felt like really comfortable with. And it actually came together really easily for me. Once I had that song down, I was like, wow, I think I can turn the rest of these mumblings and riffs that I've been messing with over the past six months into songs too. So it really kind of like that song gave me the confidence to go on. It was easy for me to imagine in my head what I wanted it to sound like and, and actually make the sounds that were in my head on these tools that are available to me nowadays on, uh, like you said, in, in this generation with logic and plugins and stuff like that. And of course, I don't know how to play drums. I don't know how to play keyboards. I don't know how to play bass and I don't know how to sing. It was like, oh, how much of this am I going to do on my own? And it was like, oh, so I'm just going to have to figure this all out. So I like sang keyboard parts, like alternate melodies to what I was singing and recorded them down and like Googled how to play each piano chord. Get so I go like D minor I, F G. Oh, and then I, I thought go you were going to tell me. And be I, like, D minor F G. And then I cut. And as an editor, kind of, I already know how to cut and edit. So mostly like my music making was like editing. Like I thought you were going to tell me that you maybe hummed, hummed the melody or the notes into a voice memo and sent it to somebody in Estonia over Fiverr or something to play it. Like that would be the true globalized debut album. It's amazing. You know, you could just handle, you could just hire a gig worker to do it. And then the amazing thing to me in this is so, um, you know, you and I were fan boying over a favorite podcast of mine. It's called Song Exploder. It's the backstory. They can dissect Ugh. everything from Fleetwood Mac's Go Your Own Way. We're both enormous War on Drugs fans. We are. And Adam Granducio, the front man of that band, is talking about coming out of the pandemic haze, and he's a new father, and he's stuck on this one song, and it it actually vivisects the song, and he gives you the stuff from the cutting room floor and everything and how it came together, and we're all in quarantine, and the drummer ships off this this various beat, and then he hired Lucius in Brooklyn, your neighbors. War on Drugs says in this, Adam Grandusil says that you just go to a certain place, and it's very short-lived where your mind is just in the zone. And yeah. when you're in that zone, you just try to get as much out of it as possible and record it. Tell me about that. Well, I love... I love Orange Drugs. I love that episode. And I was jealous, you know, because like he said, oh, and then like my bandmate came and like played this lick and sent it over. And I was like, that was like the backbone of the song. And I'm like, okay, you know, like you said, I'm just like dad in Brooklyn with his full-time job and this life going on. And it's like, who do I know? Like, who's going to join my band? Like, uh, you know, all these guys I can play around with during the day, but they're not going to like sacrifice their whole lives to like come and like work in a studio with me, like, and like for my own project for like the next year, you know, like these guys, they they got lives, you know? So I'm like, I, I gotta, I'm like doing all this on my own. But I, at the time I wasn't sure like if I had anything or not, you know, it wasn't until like I, it was done that I thought maybe this was good enough. You can go on your Instagram, your Instagram, Aaron at Kasich, and you uncovered, I think it was in a shoebox, your father's Neumann 87 mic, I think that he used in Panorama in 1980. And have you been using that mic? I have been using wow. that mic. So like I said, I'm doing all this stuff on my own and just getting these amazing pieces of equipment, this microphone, 
this old acoustic guitar have just made me feel like I'm not doing it on my own in a kind of a way. Like I'm kind of like, oh, these are all these, this is this mic that was used by Iggy Pop and Weezer and maybe even not a sir. I don't know who all the band, I know the bands he produced, but I don't know who actually sang in this mic. And like, I just feel like kind of, it just made me feel like connected to something going on in music, even though I was just sitting in my house in my dark room, like making all this music on my own. It made me feel like I was part of something bigger. <laughs> and like, I mean, especially, you know what I mean? Especially this guitar, like, okay. So I'm like, just starting i'm like oh is this something i really want to do or not and i'm starting to lay down music and i go to my dad's storage and i open one case and it's this like old martin like 1971 guitar and i'm like oh 1971 so this is like this is like milkwood ben or this is like him sitting on his bed like he doesn't have a studio he's like and like how many car songs were written on this and like this guitar is amazing you know so i'm like oh can i use it yeah so i'm going to i'm going to bring it home and it sounds like weird it's a little broken it sounds weird i bring it to uh, matt Umanoff. i don't know if you know that place like guitar shop on bleecker street where that's the only place my dad would go to get like guitars fixed and so he fixed up the martin and he's like well there's some martins in the 70s that were like not so great as some other ones but you know this one seems all right and i bring it home and i'm playing it and it's like this should feel great but like when I play bar chords, it just sounds like like I'm, my fingers are slipping. It sounds awful. A couple of weeks go by, and I'm like, I got to make the album with this guitar. I realize that I'm playing all my songs like, like bar chords like this. And I'm like, oh, the only way to play bar chords is like if you mute the strings. And I'm like, wait a second. This is like, is this how the car, is this like how the car sound started? Because my dad had a bad guitar. And it wouldn't sound good unless it was muted. Because, like, this is, like, the sound of the cars. And I, f I found myself playing like that with this only this guitar. I, I, I got to ask, outside of the supernatural, do you think your father's spirit was guiding that? Like, how would you come to that on your own, picking up his guitar? I mean, there was just no other way to play it. <laughs> or maybe, yeah, maybe guiding it. There's just no other way to play that guitar. I mean, this is, like, the only way to play the guitar. And so I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. So, yeah, I felt like, oh, shit, part of something. Aaron, tell me about the creative diaspora. I mean, you had mentioned trying to enlist Ira Elliott, the drummer from Not A Surf. Of course, we have one of our great, famous pre-pandemic live episodes with Not A Surf Live at the National in Richmond. And a lot of it was about the influence that your father had on the band and Matthew Cause. And, you know, young New Yorker, just like you, had the gumption to hand your father a mixtape, and they got a voicemail, an answering machine message. I'm saying voicemail. And so you have a whole diaspora of goodwill, whether you talk about, I guess, Rivers Cuomo of Weezer and various other people that your father mentored and produced. Were you able to kind of tap them for advice? I mean, even someone like Elliot Easton, a guitar maestro, who I think is on the West Coast now. I mean, my, obviously, my dad worked with the best people. And Ira Elliot from not a actually i think the band even talks about it in your podcast they're like oh we finally got not a, we finally got ira elliot we didn't want to lose him yeah like i mean he's great he's amazing and like my dad always thought he was the best he actually toured with uh my dad on his solo uh shows ira. get out he never told um, me that yeah so yeah ira's in central florida on the west coast somewhere you're in brooklyn can't this stuff be done over the cloud i wanted to geek out with you on technology I did. I did reach out to him, and he loved it, and he and he he was totally willing to play, and he did actually. And um, when we got into the production, my producer 
had, you know, this live setup. I had like this thing that he was calling demoitis, which is like I didn't want anything to change from my demos. Like I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> like I was so attached to my demo that I didn't really want anything to change. And so like when the drummer was playing, I kind of like had what I wanted in mind. And when so I could be there right there and tell him, you know, oh, let's like change it to something else at this point or not use hi hats right now. And Ira played these great takes and I just was so I think I was just so controlling I couldn't use them. And it was the biggest disappointment because I like when I started this album, I when I was making my own drum sounds, I kept asking myself, what would Ira do for the drums right now? What would Ira do for drums right now? I'm betting double or nothing This time I'm not gonna fail I gave all I got for you And now I'm chasing the past I've been spending my love Come on, grab it fast I've been spending
If you are just joining us, we are talking to Aaron Okasik. His debut album is Take Backs. You might recognize the Okasik name. His father is the late Rick Okasik, founder and frontman of the Cars. Uh, we just played this track, number two, Spending My Love, from your debut album, if we even still call it an album, your debut stream series. Tell me the backstory to Spending My Love. Well, Spending My Love is interesting. Um, this is the second song on the album. It's, it's It was my kind of like attempt at putting together all the kinds of music that I love. So I wasn't really trying to break new ground necessarily when I was making this album. I was kind of like thinking that I wanted to rekindle like some of the kind of music that I grew up on and like represent it out to the world. Like um, it kind of sounds a little eighties kind of sounds like a little electric guitar and it kind of sounds like a band and it kind of just like feels like like a classic song to me and when i finished that song i kind of like again like really felt more comfortable about where about what i was trying to make with this album and that that song really helped me get to that point i think you know whether we have on silver sun pickups or not a surf or david lowry from cracker you know through line in kind of my music episodes is the business of music because it has changed so much so for example when not a surf had its big break in the mid 90s and was on mtv they get a three cd deal or something from electra and then the cd blows up and napster changes the world and the band has to reconstitute. They get dumped by their record label. Now it is much more about merch and touring. You know, Aaron, I'm old. I'm old enough to remember from my Manhattan days in the turn of the century. There were guys in Times Square handing out mix CDs, hoping that someone famous yeah. would pick it up. I mean, very in the similar mold as kind of Matthew Cause of Not a Surf accosting Rick Ocasek with this mixtape and thinking never to hear from him again. I can't. I mean. What what has to happen for a big break? I'm thinking of small-time people. Here we have Lucy Dacus in Richmond. Other people gotten caught. There was a band, OK Go, uh, maybe 15 years ago or so. It was very popular on the tail end of the music video trend. To the extent you want to become viral, I mean, what moves the needle? You post this stuff on Instagram. Somebody shares it. Somebody shows up and says, I, I want to make you big. I mean, they're the Taylor Swift's and the weekends of the world, and it seems like there's everyone else. I think touring would be the answer. Like if you really wanted to build a fan base and get, you know, your name out there a lot. You know, if you're touring and you're passing out tapes and you're, you know, I think people will talk and then, you know, share, and then that's kind of how things go. Aaron Okasik, in the five minutes or so we have left with you, I'd like for you to wax a little bit for us about becoming this amateur archaeologist. I, I follow your Instagram and you're finding all these microphones and guitars. Your uh, your father, the late Rick Okasik of the Cars, uh, dressed the part at home. You, you told me that he didn't dress any differently when he received people at the Gramercy studio in New York. It was very much the person you might bump into in Union Square or on TV. You're finding all sorts of things yeah. in his estate kind of closet, metaphorically. Yes. Well, first of all, yes, he, he woke up dressed the same way he would walk outside and he was always very presentable. So yes, that's true. And what I'm finding is, is ama I'm amazing. I mean, not only does he have this, all this great equipment, which is like, you know, you can't find anymore. All these great guitars, which are just like iconic, which you probably just should be some at the rock and roll hall of fame or something like that. And then there's, you know, all his art. I mean, he's got 
hundreds of pieces of art in storage and they kind of need to find a way out of storage. So they're being kind of archived and logged. And there's also, also, by the way, there's these tapes, you know, old tapes, cassette tapes. We're talking like the eight inch quarter inch tapes from the actual recordings of these old albums. And they're kind of being archived and logged and, and stuff like that right now, because I really feel like there is a place for some of this stuff still. And I don't think that it ends in a storage facility. What's your favorite find so far? Hmm. Well, I think I already talked about the acoustic guitar, which I felt was really special to me. And I think that to find one piece of equipment that was older than the cars that was still left, that he probably never touched since the 70s, that he still kept, that was like bent a little bit. The pick guard was like peeling off. You know, like to find this one piece from before the cars, I just felt like was really amazing. Aeronaut Kasich, the debut album is Take Backs. Uh, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show. We're going to send out this episode with Sunny House if you want to tell us a little bit about it before we excerpt. Oh, Sunny House is it is my acoustic tempt. And that song came out in one take like usually i put the camera on me and i'm mumbling words until i find the right ones and that one i kind of just like sang all the verses all the way through this was like six or seven songs in so i was getting better and better and um kind of just wanted to keep it simple and so it's this like acoustic song that stayed simple that closes out the album um a little sad but a little nice aaron akasic Thank you so much for coming on Full Disclosure. You're always welcome to come on back. Thank you for having me. It's so fun to talk.
crying for my heartbeat to get back down. Full disclosure, special thanks this week to Claire Morgan, our executive producer. This show podcast to NPR, Spotify, and of course, Apple Podcasts at link fulldradio.com. You can catch us on WVTF Radio IQ across the great Commonwealth. It's the NPR member station here. We are on WPVM in Asheville. We are on WERA in Arlington, KPPQ out west in Ventura, California. I'm on both MSNBC and NPR's Here and Now Weekly. And holler if you too would like to carry full disclosure on your air. I'm Robin Farzad. Thank you for listening and back with you next week. <laughs>